When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's time to Take Command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome in to Take Command on a Monday here on Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That's Logan Paulson. And Logan, uh, look at look at you looking all tan. Back from tight end. You refreshed. Not that you needed to refresh. You you're fresh last week. But here we are. That's right. uh, you got you got all kinds of tight end knowledge and and just momentum flowing through your body. We're gonna talk about tight end you today, and then we're then we're gonna go back in the backfield. Uh, we're gonna talk some running backs uh, because we obviously. Let everybody hear the game that we did last week, or we did the game last week, I should say, on the podcast uh, of drafting different skill position players, and I did it on the radio as well on Friday, and the biggest piece of feedback that we got was people think that we missed on assigning value to the running backs, that Washington and Dallas's running backs uh, should have been higher than Philadelphia's, and we had Philly one. So Logan went back, watched a little bit more tape. He'll share his thoughts as we get going here in the podcast. But first, uh, how was tight end you? And what is tight end you for folks that are that are uninitiated? So tight end you is kind of fitting in this mold of like Von Miller's pass run camp, rush camp or uh, uh, Big Dukes is the guy's name, his like offensive line camp where you get all the guys from around the league and um, they kind of share information about the position and insight they have or coaching techniques or whatever it may be. Um, I think the unique thing about tight end U is it's done by tight ends for tight ends, unlike those other platforms which are done by like a pass rush coach or an offensive line coach. This is all from within. So Greg Olson, uh, George Kittle, and Travis Kelsey set this up. And, you know, I didn't really know what to expect going down there, but they did a really nice job. Bruce, George Kittle's father, uh, kind of runs the itinerary. And, you know, all the guys stay in a hotel. I didn't stay in a hotel because I'm not an active player anymore, so I had to stay in a different location. But they stay in a hotel. You know, they get their meals paid for. They have kind of a beautiful setup at uh, Vanderbilt University. Got to see those facilities. It's great great facility, great setup, great meeting rooms, all that kind of stuff. And then they basically do presentations about certain topics. So for example, uh, Travis Kelsey did a, did a presentation on quarters, which is, you know, cover four and then cover two and how he sees the coverage, how he identifies the coverages. And uh, George did something on play action and um, how using the run game helps the play action game. And then um, uh, Dallas Clark, you know, I don't know if the listeners are familiar with him, but he did a presentation on things that he did when he was playing. And uh, I thought that was, a, you know, just great insight from everybody. And just also really cool to see how the game has changed from like when Dallas was playing, which wasn't even really that long ago. Right. Hey, Manning's know, favorite Kelsey. tight end in Indy. Yeah, right. And so it was just, it was really cool. And then there was about 50 guys there, you know, and uh, that was also cool. So most of the starting tight ends from the NFL were there. A lot of the backup guys, and it was just, for me, I think the craziest thing was just seeing how much the body type for the position has changed. You know, it used to be guys that looked kind of like me, you know, 6'4", 270-ish pounds, more akin to an offensive lineman. And now you get these guys who are kind of like these live, you know, basketball-ish type players, you know, big bodies, obviously, but they can run routes like receivers. I mean, it was really eye-opening being there, like seeing Conklin the guy who just signed the deal up in New York with the Jets, like seeing him move around as a guy who I thought, oh, that's a traditional blocking Y. And he, the way he ran routes, I just was like, man, the position is changing so, so much. So obviously very, very cool for me, who's kind of like the consummate football nerd. But yeah, like great job by George and his dad setting that up. And, you know, they raised like $500,000 for charity, you know. Oh, that's awesome. So like, 
obviously like a great event and um, just a really, really cool thing for me. And I think, you know, hopefully for all the other guys there too. So how does like, or is basically if you play tight end in the NFL, you're invited and then how to, like, what was your role there? What were you doing there? So they do have like, um, I think there is like some type of barrier to entry, like you need to be invited. So I had to call George and be like, Hey man, can I come? And he was like, Oh yeah, yeah. And so I think unlike some of these other events where it's like, it's very, very exclusive. I think George is trying to promote a much more diverse environment. So, you know, like at the uh, pass rush camp, for example, it's mostly starters that come, but here there was guys who weren't with teams necessarily who, um, you know, were maybe practice squad guys. And obviously you had your, your cream of the crop guys there too, which was great, but, um, it was, uh, you know, just a very diverse selection of guys, which is really, really cool to see. And so, you know, with regards to what I was doing there, I was just going down there to learn, honestly, just to kind of keep up. And then George was very kind and asked me to talk. Like they had like a veterans, you know, if you had eight plus years in the NFL, like you got to speak. And so I spoke at that and kind of gave my two cents on like things that I thought were important to sticking around the NFL. And there was about uh, eight guys with over eight years experience. So they all kind of gave their two cents. And there were some really, really cool stories uh, like Jordan Matthews, for example, is a guy who was drafted by Philadelphia in the second round to play wide receiver. And he, in his, this is going into his ninth season, is converting to tight end. Mm. And so obviously, like, talking about, like, that shift and that transition for him, I think it was really cool to hear kind of how important football was to him and the steps he'd taken to kind of continue his career. He told this crazy story. He needed to gain 25 pounds in a month for San Francisco to consider re-signing him. And he did it, which is obviously not the healthiest way to do it, nope. as you and I both know. Yeah. But again, like that's a that's a it's a very committed individual to kind of sticking around the game and being with it. And then you know, guys like Luke Stocker, guys that I played with, got to speak. And you know, he's gonna he's going into year twelve now. And so obviously, just a just a huge. I think it was just really cool to hear you know Manhurst down in Carolina, who's in Jacksonville now. You know, he played basketball in college, and now he's like the best run-blocking tight end in the NFL. Him and Bates are kind of up for that that accolade. And so, you know, to, talk, to hear him talk about the physical shift and, you know, it just was it was fascinating to hear everyone's stories and to just gain a ton of insight on the position. Yeah, it's so interesting to me because tight end outside of quarterback might be one of the most complete positions in football. Like, you have to know mm-hmm. the run game very intimately. You have to know the pass game very intimately right. um, as opposed to other positions where you can kind of get away with one or the other. Obviously, offensive line is its whole separate thing. But, like, offensive linemen, you don't necessarily have to know coverages. Tight end, you have to know blocking schemes and coverages. Yet, right. it is also a position that a lot of other positions convert to whether it's outside like you know the basketball body types uh, and basketball players who haven't played a ton of football like Antonio Gates can go on to be a hall of famer Um, you know obviously Tony Gonzalez played both but was famously a basketball player as well Um, but you then have like Jordan Matthews you have Logan Thomas who was down there Mm -hmm. as well like you have all these different positions all these different players all these different you know athletes I guess that wind up converging into the tight end conglomerate of the NFL. My question would simply be, why do you think that is? Well, I think it's, it's, it's probably for a multitude of reasons. I think the, the most obvious one being is that it's hard to, like after seeing all these guys together, you know, seeing them all compared to each other, it's a very unique body type. And it's one that you're not going to find in the college game super readily, right? Those guys are going to either be playing receiver kind of like, um, you know, Cole Turner was, he was playing receiver at Nevada when he first arrived and converted to tight end. And then even then is playing kind of that big slot role there for them. And so that guy is, is a receiver that's playing tight end now. And I think the, the college game doesn't lend itself to that position. So you got to kind of go scour around and see, oh, well, this guy's a big, like Logan Thomas, for example, he's big quarterback, physical, can run really well. Let's see what he looks like at tight end. And obviously that doesn't always work out. You know, Daniel Fell is a guy who played basketball at UC Irvine, for example. They don't even have a football team. You know, had a, I want to say, like a eight, nine-year career in the NFL. Just, again, body type is so important for the position. Having the right arm length, having the right size, having the ability to adjust to the football in the air, finding the ability to get guys who can create that, that mismatch just from like a physicality standpoint is so important. And now seeing the position, I mean, those, those body types seem like they're very hard to find. You know, and I think it's going to be hard to find guys who've, strictly played the position their whole life you know you're going to be have to having to kind of pick around like Darren Waller was down there and seeing Darren Waller in person was was so cool you know because he's this guy he's 6'6 he's put together like a receiver 
big old legs, but he moves like such a small man. And that guy played receiver in college, you know, mm-hmm. and then he made the transition to tight end. And I think that's more and more what you're going to be seeing, uh, you know, maybe a, like, and I think their their teams are hungering for this these athletic characteristics now more than ever. So again, finding finding the basketball, finding the quarterback, finding whatever it is to make those switches, I think is going to be more and more common. Yeah, it's just fascinating to me because the demands mentally of the position are so intense and to just right. be like, all right, well, we can't even bother if we don't have the body type, but then knowing what's on the plate right. to make that conversion is interesting. Speaking of, um, I know you were really impressed by what Travis Kelsey and George Kittle oh. and Dallas Clark all had in their presentations. Let's start with Kelsey. What what you said he was presenting on quarters coverage. Uh, so what quarters and cover two? Yeah, yeah. So so all these two high looks. What is it that that obviously look his physical? You want to talk about body type and physical characteristics? What that dude's able to do physically is an enormous part of his success. But obviously, as as you saw firsthand, the mental side, the way he's able to process information is is fantastic. What did you learn, and what impressed you so much with Travis Kelsey? So two things there. One, he like did a route demo, you know, like he did a route demo, how to do like a 90 degree cut, how to do like a choice route where you go up and you can kind of go in or out. And then he did like a snag route. And I think the thing that stood out, you mentioned how he moves is like, he looks like he's so smooth, but like his ability to decelerate, catch himself in the cut and then explode out. I mean, it was, it was so smooth. It was so cool to see that in person. You know, you can watch it on tape a million times, but seeing it in person, you just get a whole new level of respect. And then when he got in the meeting room, it's, you know, he's got this reputation of being kind of this boisterous, uh, you know, individual who maybe doesn't take the game so seriously, but hearing him talk about it, like he'd be like, Oh, I know like in this tube in this. So he talked about his, uh, running a choice versus quarters. That was the first thing he did. And he said, Oh, look at this, this, uh, three by one is away from, or this three by two is empty. So there's three receivers to the right. He's on the left side of the formation in the slot. There's a receiver outside of him. And he's like, I know because Tyree kills in the slot away from me that they're going to match that with the middle linebacker. So I'm essentially in man-to-man coverage here on this weak side linebacker who is a uh, uh, JOK. And and I just thought, man, that's so smart. Not only is that smart of him to identify that, to understand that that's the kind of coverage he's going to get, and he's also understanding that like if I beat this guy across his face inside towards the ball, there's nobody else in there. And so like that awareness, but also the awareness of Andy Reid to formation that, to dictate that response by the defense. And that was the cool thing about watching it is not only did Travis understand what Andy Reid was trying to get it, get out of these different formations, but also how varied the formations were by Andy Reid to put Travis, to put Tyreek, to put these guys in the best position to be successful and exploit these coverages. It made me think about, you know, like that's what makes Andy Reid, that's what makes Kyle Shanahan, that's what makes Sean McVay so so special is they can manipulate these chess pieces to kind of maximize their chess piece. And the cool thing Travis said, I made this chess reference totally unintentionally, but he was like, you need to know what the other team's chess pieces are doing, what their coach do. He said, I go to our defensive coordinator and I talk to them and I try to understand like what the, what our guys are being coached to do and if they have any insight on the opponents and how they're what they're being coached to do. And that's stuff you hear from guys around the league. You know, you heard that from, you know, Luke Keekley. He talked about doing that as a linebacker. How do you coach a running back? How do you coach an offensive lineman? But to hear a tight end kind of branching off into that level of knowledge and understanding, it just shows how um, how he understands the game at such a high level. And my level of respect for him honestly went through the roof after seeing him not only demonstrate the routes, but to do the do the film presentation. I mean, it's like a coach, you know? Yeah. And the energy and the passion that he brought to the meetings, like, it, it was it was very, very cool to see. So, you know, again, like, it makes me think about the commander's offense and are, is Scott Turner doing this stuff to help his playmakers be successful? And, uh, you know, that's something I want to keep an eye on going into 2022 with regards to putting guys in good positions to win. No doubt about it. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot. You got to see Travis do this stuff, uh, the demos. You were really impressed. You played with Jordan Reed, who's the best route runner I've ever seen. Yeah. Who's a better route runner, Jordan or Travis? I think that's the thing about this event that was really, really cool is there's 50 dudes there, right? And Mm -hmm. so there's 50 ways to run this route. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like seeing Jordan Waller do it, seeing Travis do it, seeing Austin Hooper do it, seeing, uh, you know, any uh, any of these guys do it, they all have a little different flavor, you know. And so Travis can't do what Jordan does, right? He doesn't have the ability, you know, very few people, even receivers have the ability to kind of work that double stick and cross people up. But I don't think Jordan had the same level of understanding that Travis did. So like kind of where that met is like, 
you know, Jordan has this physical ability that's off the charts. And also, I think the other thing about Travis that really stuck out to me is he has a lot of tools in the toolbox. Like Jordan had this one tool that could kind of be applied in every any situation. And Travis has had to cultivate different ways of winning. And it's and I think that makes things more difficult for defenses, you know. And so Jordan had this one thing that was so elite that he didn't really have to cultivate anything else. And right. a lot of and in some ways that was to his detriment, you know. And Travis is he's just like he's like, oh, you know, like I want to burst off the ball, attack his outside shoulder, I want to sell vertical that vertical speed, get him to open his hips, and then I can work my double stick. While Jordan, his double stick was so good he didn't have to do any of that beginning part of the route. You know? Yeah. And so I, I it's just different, man. It's just right. different ways of getting there. You know, even watching like a guy I mentioned Conklin already, I was super impressed with him. But he's like two hundred and fifty pounds. Big, like big burly, barrel chested kind of guy. And his double stick looks a little different than Jordan, but it still was effective for him, you know? Like he would work up, stem vertical, you know, not attacking a side necessarily, but able to win either way. And again, like that, it was just so cool to see that there's no right answer just based on body type and how different guys get it done. It was really cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, Anything from the the Kittle presentation that really stuck out to you? Because you played for Kyle for a long time, and these are things I'm sure you understood on on some level, if not entirely. Um, But George has been widely regarded maybe as the best blocking tight end uh, in football the last couple years. Certainly of of the elite tight ends, that is the the area where he shines, like over a Kelsey, over a Waller, where those guys might be a little bit better pass catchers. Um, So what stuck out from Kittle's presentation for you? Well, one of the things about Kittle is you immediately hear his passion for the run game. Like, he wants to get after guys. He wants to impose his will. And, like, you know, when guys are giving a presentation, you can see how they feel about it. So, obviously, when Kelsey's talking about, um, you know, cover four and, like, how he sees coverage, you can hear his passion. When uh, Dallas Clark's talking about taking that big hit over the middle and how football, especially at tight end position, is a game of heart, like, you hear that. And then when Kittle starts talking about the run game, you're like, holy cow, this guy loves putting his face on people and ending their lives. You know what I mean? Like that's what he loves doing. <laughs> and I think, um, and that's something that I respect because that's something I really enjoyed doing when I was playing. I think the other thing that came out of Kittle's presentation is you see how much that scheme, how, how Kyle can utilize that scheme to get tight ends open with the keeper game, for example. Like George was talking about how selling the run fake and then having, or, you know, having this run and really getting after a guy in the run game and then having the same run action and then running play action off it and having different variations off the play action. Like just as an example, they ran this three tight ends to the left. You know, the first guy runs a down flat. The next guy runs a corner usually. And the, and the outside guy runs a down flat, like a fast down flat is what they call it. So you get two guys in the flat kind of on different levels. Mm-hmm. And then you get a guy to the corner kind of pulling the corner off. And so Kyle in the cut up that George brought said, well, like George is a tremendous athlete. He runs a four five forty. He's got all these explosive qualities. Why don't we just have him run a corner post? And so have the quarterback do a half roll up, run a corner post, and it leads to a 60-yard touchdown. Because George not only can do that physically, run the route, but also he has the athleticism to finish the play. So, you know, it's so funny because everyone talks about George not being the most polished route runner, and I agree with that. But I think the thing about George that is exceptional, or the thing that makes George goes from, like, average to elite is the fact that in this system, because he's such a good blocker, Kyle's able to utilize the run game to set up stuff in the pass game. And he is like, he's a tremendous athlete. So that was really cool. Just a reminder for me, honestly, to know the way Kyle's seeing stuff, how Kyle's executing stuff and the way Kyle's calling games. And obviously you need tremendous pieces to get that done. George is a tremendous piece. And one of my favorite tight ends that I ever played with. So it's not just like, you know, play caller, you need the, the horses to get it done. But, you know, again, just a good reminder of how these elite offensive coordinators are always pairing things, always scheming things up to get their playmakers in excellent positions to be successful. So yeah, that was, that was a really cool presentation also. Um, last but not least on tight end you, uh, there are a couple Washington guys there, Logan Thomas, John yeah. Bates. I saw, um, I don't know if there's any, if there's a third, uh, or a fourth guy. No, there, those, just those, those two, two guys. Yeah. W- what do you think they took out of it? Well, I think it's, you know, Logan's obviously hurt, so he just kind of does the warm-up and then watches the drills, much like I did. And um, I think that shows a great level of maturity, you know, to come down there and kind of looking for new things, new edges. Like, I don't think anyone would fault him for staying at home with his family. But getting that done, I think, is pretty exciting. And then John Bates, I think the thing about John that was really interesting is, you know, I, and to my eye, 
and watching the evaluation, he's one of the best blocking tight ends in the NFL. And you could very easily rest on that and kind of say, this is who I am, this is what I'm going to be doing. But he's down there like hungering to be better in the pass game. And that was really cool to see. And pushing himself, getting out of his comfort zone, trying new things, taking coaching points. And I think that was that was really cool. For a guy in year two to have that kind of awareness and that motivation to kind of push out of his comfort zone, again, I think is a testament to both of those guys. You know, because it, it's easy. You know, this is your off period. Like, why not just sit at home and hang out, eat some bonbons and go to the gym a couple <laughs> times a week? Like, but it was really cool for them, I thought, to to kind of push themselves in that way. Bonbons, eh? Yeah, but I don't know. What are you, what are you eating? Skittles? I don't know. Whatever, whatever you yeah. like. Whatever you like. If you're Jordan Matthews, apparently everything. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, just in, I don't know how you, I don't know. Honestly, I, I was thinking, I was doing the math, man. I was like, how did he do that? Is that you got to go, like go on the Michael Phelps diet. What was he eating? Like 10,000 yeah, like, calories and like four servings of pasta per meal per day. Oh, when was he was like, swimming? You definitely gotta, you definitely gotta get your your carbs way up so you can get a little more water retention. But I think that would only get you about fifteen pounds. So yeah, that's, I don't know. It's, de- definitely it's, do not recommend. Definitely do not <laughs> recommend uh, unless I guess you're Jordan Matthews and you have guidance from professionals and a lot of money on the line. Uh, if you, if you like stories like this, um, we're hoping to get some of these guys on, uh, some of the tight ends, uh, to talk about this more. So, um, if you're just, if you're just finding us here on take command, make sure you subscribe because there's plenty more where that came from, uh, Apple podcast, Spotify, wherever it is that you get your podcast. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Craig Hoffman, Logan Paulson here on Take Command from Odyssey Sports. And let's let's shift gears now, Logan. We, we spent some time last week doing this very fun game. And we have more fun games to come throughout the summer. Summer is game time. Uh, what time is it? Game time. Who? Uh, game time. Who? Uh, so we, we created like a value chart of quarterbacks, running backs, tight ends, receivers. We drafted our teams. I, I do have to say the most common uh, team picked on Twitter was exactly the team that I picked. So I'm, I'm not saying that I'm Which right. One? It was uh, Dak Prescott, Terry McLaurin. Well, also, dude, heads up. I picked second in all those categories. That's just true. as a reminder to everybody. So I'm getting your Well, you did not pick second, second in all the categories. You picked second, and we alternated picks. So I, like... Did we alternate? I don't even remember how we did it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, it. <laughs> it wasn't like I took a quarterback, you took a quarterback. I took Terry McLaurin first overall, and that was my receiver, and you had your pick of, of the rest of the guys. I just happened to correctly pick the best value on the board, you know? Right, but obviously that allows you to kind of... Yeah, we'll talk about this more later. But it does, it allows you to be a little more flexible with your right. uh, selections because you got you know a, a number one receiver for two dollars. So yeah, so I had know, Dak. Hey, I don't have to tell you Dak Terry, the Commanders running backs, and Dalton Schultz. You had Carson Wentz, AJ Brown, Logan Thomas, and the Giants running backs for your ten dollars. But the biggest piece of feedback that we got was people disagreed with our running back rankings. Uh, we had Philly as the $4, Dallas as the $3, Washington as the $2, and the Giants as the $1. Not a lot of folks uh, standing up for the Giants, uh, unsurprisingly. But people thought that Dallas or Washington should have been, like that they were definitively 1-2 and that uh, Philly no. should have been third. You went back. Uh, watched a lot of or watched some extra tape on on some of these backs. Do you have any thoughts on? Uh, do you have feedback on the feedback, if you will? Uh, and and why did we ultimately decide that Philly was the best backs in the division? 
Well, so I think when you look at Miles Sanders, let's just start with him. Miles Sanders, and I think the thing about him that really sticks out is that he averages 5.1 yards a carry. And, you know, like he makes people miss, he breaks tackles, and like when I'm evaluating running backs, those are things that I value tremendously, right? The ability to kind of set up a guy to make him miss, and then obviously breaking tackles, because that means you're getting more out of the run than the run is blocked for. And so I think that that's something that fans don't necessarily see. They don't necessarily take into account. You know, again, a criticism I have of Miles Sanders is that he missed four games last year. So obviously, like, his availability over the last two seasons has been up and down. But in terms of making people miss, vision in the hole, I think he's probably the best, the best of the bunch. The next guy I would go to is Antonio Gibson. I think he is physically the thing that you want the most at the position, right? Height weight, speed, breaks tackles, makes people miss, all of those things, but he lacks some of the running back nuance that I think Miles Sanders has, right? His vision's not great. His pass protection's not great. Miles Sanders not a great pass protector either, to be fair. And also, he fumbled the ball a whole bunch last year. So those things are significant in terms of the evaluation. Again, in terms of a guy who just fits the mold, he's 235 pounds, he runs a 4-3, he's physical, Again, injury history there is a little bit of a concern for me. But again, like the the foot the playing the position of running back is is more than those height weight speed measurements, right? So right. that's where I would kind of again, and then you go to Ezekiel Elliott just kind of like to flush out the kind of best guys of the and Ezekiel Elliott had the lowest broken tackle percentage of almost any running back in the NFL. He only broke sixteen tackles last year on two hundred and fifty carries. That's wild now, considering what he was yeah. as a rookie. Yeah, exactly right. And so I think people kind of think back, oh, like this is how he was. Now, he has excellent vision. He's excellent pass protection. He takes care of the football at a high level. And it's not that he's a bad runner. It's just that he's not going to get you more than what's there. Now, you can say that his vision leads him to the right hole. and He's able to make plays there that like Tony Pollard doesn't make, for example. But And, and another thing that's important to think about with Dallas specifically is their run game tends to be very tight zone, duo, inside the box based and that gets really tight and really cloudy really quickly and so obviously like even if you do break a tackle it's not going to show up on the stat sheet because there's a thousand people right there Ah, right you know what i mean right but when i watch him i I will say he he gets what the run is blocked for and that that's confirmed to my eye unlike sanders unlike gibson unlike tony pollard right now there's other elements that go into playing running back right but I do think that that's important for fans to understand. And now, I don't want to talk too long here, but go back to Sanders. Like That offensive line in Philly is dynamite. There right. is so much space in that offense. And like when you look at Tony Pollard, for example, he breaks more tackles when he's in space, right? Gladwell breaks more tackles when he's in space. They do a great job of creating space. They get more double teams because the quarterback can run. They don't have to account for this extra player in the box, right? And they are able to just create movement because all those dudes weigh 350 pounds. And then uh, Kelsey can just run wherever he wants, like a fullback almost, and cover guys up. And the running backs are off to the races. So they're, uh, it's hard to isolate just the back, right, in right. these things. Because like you'd say, well, I think Gibson in that offense rushes for 1,000 yards and has 5.2 yards of carry. Like I, I just think that because it fits his vision style very well. There's just epic amounts of space but that's not how it is right right so again like those are the variables you're kind of negotiating with these rankings that i think it's hard to isolate it's hard to isolate a back right and that that to me was what i would tell people and, and what some of them even said is like i mean like this was the criticism of our receiver rankings as well it's like how can you possibly have terry as the two dollar receiver he's played with uh, not great quarterbacks. Fans were a little harsher than that. Uh, not great quarterbacks. And, you know, CD Lamb's out there playing with Dak or, you know, AJ Brown was in yeah. uh, Tennessee with Tannehill, you know, et cetera, right. et cetera. And it's like, well, we're doing the best we can. We try to project. Do I think that Terry would have better numbers if he had been in Tennessee? Yeah. Are they, does he score as often as AJ Brown scores? The biggest, you know, statistical differential between the two touchdowns? Maybe not, uh, and yeah. probably not, and that's why AJ Brown gets the the slight nod. Um, I would probably take Terry. You took Brown, you know, but it's like it's neck and neck right there. And the same thing with Lamb. Like Lamb has, it, we're doing a little bit of projection. There, he's got the shake. He's got all the physical characteristics. He also dropped the ball a lot. And if you were to do that again this season, you probably downgrade him as opposed to yeah. anticipating him uh, in year two, year three, whatever this is for him. Uh, 
shoring that up a little bit and becoming a more mature player. So it's really hard to isolate pretty much anything. I mean, it's hard to isolate quarterback. It's hard to isolate left tackle. It's hard to isolate literally any position because football is not only such a team game, but it, you know, even the evaluations are hard because unless you know the assignments and the, the finer coaching points, it can be really hard to, some, you know, to, to evaluate because something that looks like a mistake may be how a player was coached. And you know, if you were coached differently in a different system, that might not make sense to you. And by the way, you might be right because, for instance, if you were taught the run game by the Shanahan's, I don't know why yeah. anyone teaches it differently because they've only been the best running game in football for 30 years. But there are coaches that do. And, and if the yeah. player does what they're supposed to do, it looks like a mistake to you as an evaluator. Um, and by the way, that's not just like you, Logan Paulson. It is a, you know, a pro scout for another team scouting for free agency that can affect the way you intake all of that information. Yeah, and I think like even to, even to the running back point, like you mentioned Kyle Shanahan, and one of the big differences between that system and most running systems is that they coach the running back's angles really well. So my technique as a blocker is a little bit different, right? And if I coach that same technique to a blocker in a system that's not Kyle Shanahan, like they're going to look like an idiot. And so again, like <laughs> understanding that nuance and the variation in the run scheme is really important. And then also, I think another thing that really, you know, downgraded Terry, at least in my eye, was the man-to-man coverage thing, right? We talked about that, like his inability to win versus certain man-to-man coverage looks, right? But again, that is somewhat scheme dependent because you look at Tennessee, for example, you look at AJ Brown, like he gets a much civil, like simpler coverage shell because they have the beasts in the backfield and they have to play eight man boxes all the time, right? right? So again, like that makes the throw easier for the quarterback, that makes the line of sight easier for the quarterback, all those different things. But again, like we had to do something, you know what I mean? We had to like rank them. And I think right. that that's the thing that you come down to. So, so back to the running backs, like when you look at these backs, Right. I look at the things that I think are kind of universal are their ability to make people miss their ability to get more than the run is blocked for. Right. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then I cut. So if so, like just as an example, Miles Sanders does that. Antonio Gibson does that. Zeke struggles with that or he has struggled with it at least last year. Then what's the differentiating factor between these two guys? Um, Antonio Gibson fumbles the ball a lot or he did last year. Now there's a myriad of reasons why that's possible you know he's worried about his shin you know he's not playing you know he's not used to playing running back whatever it is but i'm going to downgrade him for that and i'm going to upgrade miles sanders so again like just from a pure running back standpoint like just based on my criteria which is that's what it is that's why he's my number one you know what i'm saying and then you could say oh well what about the o-line all that stuff i acknowledge that that is a those are variables that need to be considered and i think they're important variables but like we have to, we have to kind of just exist here. Right. You know what we I mean? Have we have to draw the line make, somewhere. Yeah. Right. Um, Absolutely. And, yeah. And I mean, Saquon, by the way, should, you know, it's, it, he's got to get mentioned. I mean, that dude's so yeah, right, talented right. and you know, that's the hard thing is like, I, I was saying this on the radio on Friday. Like I, if you're looking at the single best back in the division for all the things we just talked about, it might be Saquon if he's healthy. Now his numbers last year don't remotely look like that. He's the yeah. only one of these backs, you know, first or second string uh, backs in the division last year who averaged less than four yards a carry. He's at 3.7. Yeah. But is it's, that because he's all of a sudden not good or is he being misused uh, behind really poor offensive line talent with, absolutely no threat in the passing game because the quarterback was not very good at all. So I'll say, I'll say the thing about Saquon when you watch him is you get the sense that there's a guy who's always looking for a home run shot. And that's not how you play running back, you know, high school, college, NFL, right? You get to line of scrimmage and you and when you're kind of pitter pattering and trying to feel it out, that's not productive for anybody, right? And that seems to be what he's doing. He kind of darts to one hole. He says it's not there. He tries to dart back. He's not trusting his vision. Now that offensive lineup in New York last year was very, very bad. You know, like the guards and the center specifically had a really hard time, especially early on in the year. So that's going to reflect his production. But also I think he needs to take some ownership of that and say like, I need to be more decisive as a runner. I need to help this group out a little bit. Like just as an example, going to Ezekiel Elliott or Miles Sanders they're really, really good at setting up runs. They're patient on the landmark. You know, let's say it's a tight zone to the right. They're going to attack the outside foot of the guard. They're going to press, 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 press. All the linebackers are going to bump over a gap, and then they're going to cut back late. And it might be a four-yard run, but to me that is an excellent run because you made everybody on that offensive line better. 
And that's something Gibson has a hard time with, right? He's not the best at setting up stuff. And a little bit of that's run scheme, the run scheme that they run here in, in Washington. But again, like those are areas that he could improve. So um, again, like Saquon is not, he's not doing that, you know, and he's kind of lost all of his, the thing that made him really special, which is his ability to kind of just create. And that was a criticism by Tiki Barber when he came out was like, he's not a disciplined runner. And I think that still shows up, and I think it, it shows a lack of confidence, and he doesn't appear to be running with like a great physicality either, which is also somewhat disappointing because he's a big man. He's a big, strong dude, so you'd like to see more of that too. Yeah, and you also wonder if he felt the pressure, right? Like he's, yeah. he knows if he doesn't score, then nobody else is, and so he's trying to hit sure. a home run every time, and it's like, hey, man, just hit some singles and doubles, and you'll actually help out the entire offense, and your home runs will will you know become apparent as you sure. wear down a defense. But when you, when you've had success your entire life, because you're such a freakish athlete playing that way, like he was able to do that at Penn state in the big 10 yeah. at the highest level of college football. And it was super successful. Um, not so much in the NFL, different sport. He's going to have to be coached up by Brian Dable and that, that staff to, to help Daniel Jones out and to give them any remote shot of being a productive offense this year in New York. The other part of the rankings, though, is because we didn't just do the starters. We did the, the right. backups as well. And I think that might be where people had some of the, the criticism, too, is, well, you look at what they have in Washington, for instance, is the backups with McKissick, who's fantastic. And now, you know, you're super high on Brian Robinson as a third. Yep. You look at Tony Pollard in Dallas, how much of a home run threat he is and how effective he is in, in all facets uh, of being a, a weapon. Um, and then obviously the depth and, and breadth of running backs they have in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that might have been where people also like, okay, I, we disagree that this running back is the best running back. But I, I think the depth is where people were, were a little surprised. Sure. What is it about Philadelphia's depth that you liked so much in comparison to, and not that the margins are big either. Like that's the other yeah. thing. I feel like these are very small margins. We're nitpicking. We're nitpicking. But what nits were picked uh, on the depth side of things for Washington and Dallas versus Philly? So again, when you watch uh, Gal- Gladwell, I can't say his name. Yeah, his Gladwell, name? I believe is Gladwell. Uh, yeah, is his name. So uh, he's the back. Uh, yeah, Kenneth Gainwell. Excuse me. Or, sorry, he's Gainwell. the backup. Yeah, yeah. He's the backup running back there in Philly, and he's a fifth round draft pick, converted wide receiver, and his game has a lot of flavor of uh, of McKissick. You know what I mean? They use him in the past game screens, kind of angle routes, choice routes. He catches the football well, and I think the thing is, like, the margin of difference between him and McKissick as receivers is pretty big, right? Um, I think McKissick's much better. He's a much more polished receiver, but also McKissick missed six games last year, right? Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that right? Missed, I, don't, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but he missed, he missed yeah. a fair chunk of games. Uh, yeah, five, six games last year, and this kid didn't miss any. And he seems to be kind of a rising star. He had the highest broken tackle percentage of any back in the division. So think about that for a second. So obviously as he kind of progressed as the year went on, his, his ability as a runner really spiked. You know what I mean? And then obviously he has the ability as a pass catcher, and he's their kick returner, he's their punt returner. So obviously very explosive, twitched up kind of guy. And I think he's going to grow quite a bit. So here I'm kind of leaning on a projection a little bit for him based on numbers that he gave this year. Obviously McKissick, I love McKissick. I think he's outstanding. I think... Um, He's uh, the best receiving back maybe in the NFL outside of Alvin Kamara, which I'm not, I'm not, that's not hyperbole. That's generally what the I numbers think. back it up. I mean, we, yeah. we get the, the release every week from the team um, with like all the stats and everything. And, you know, they always have a page on McKissick and, you know, like a little section of he's got this stat for this long, whatever. And it's always like Kamara McKissick, McKissick, Kamara, Kamara yeah. McKissick. And you're like, how in the world is this dude on backup snaps comparing to Kamara, but in the past game, he's right there. Yeah, he's a weapon, man. He's a mismatched weapon it, more than more than uh, Gainwell. Like he's he's more, but I do think Gainwell might grow into something mirroring McKissick. But from a pat as a runner, I think Gainwell is better. So you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So it's kind of like it, either or, really. And after we do these rankings, after we did it, we're going to redo this. But I would probably put. Uh, Washington above Dallas, and we're going to talk about why in a little bit because I really like Tony Pollard, but we'll kind of get into that nitty-gritty a little bit more. And again, and I just think the the huge ace in the hole here for Philadelphia is that their offensive line is just that good. 
Like you can almost put anybody back there and it's going to make them better. It's going to make them look better. And now uh, Gainwell had some really messy runs that he made a lot out of and he's breaking tackle and he's doing some things. It's not magic, but it's solid running back play. And I think there's high, uh, high upside there. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I, I'm, I'm banking more with him in the evaluation on the upside. And I, that's why he's higher ranked, I guess. So, so upon further review, you're still Philly one. Because then, then I, by the way, Boston Scott's a good back, and you haven't even mentioned him yet. They yeah, I haven't 3D. mentioned him yet. Yeah, and so, I, again, I would probably put Washington higher, but I don't think the offensive lines is good. I think Gibson's fumbling issue is a thing. McKissick's helps, health, health, health is a thing, excuse me. And as much as I love Brian Robinson's film, and I love what he did during OTAs, he hasn't played down in the NFL yet. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to be lower, if that right. makes sense. And I think yeah. that, like, that's perfectly justified now again like are those top three guys from philadelphia as good as they are like if you took if you this is kind of a funny thought experiment if you took washington's running backs and put them in philadelphia they would be the number one they would be the number one back group in the okay so that that's kind of the question right is like if if you take just the backs you actually like washington's talent overall better than philadelphia's but if you're going to take philadelphia's running game you like yes. it better because that includes the the folks blocking, the, the folks blocking, and also like again, like having Hertz there allows them to do some different stuff from a run game standpoint, which is definitely relevant. Um, I know they try to do some of that stuff here, but they can't do it as well because they don't have Hertz here. You know, who's maybe the second or third best rushing quarterback in the NFL at the moment. So again, those are important variables to consider. Like just from a talent standpoint, yeah, I like Washington's backs a lot. I like them a lot. They they do good things. You know, I mentioned some of the warts they all have, right? But again, like behind that group in that offense, that's a that's a scary Gibson in that offense is a scary thought to me. You know, and I like Sanders a lot. I think you know I mentioned his ability to make people miss and break tackles, all those things. I think Gibson's upsides more, and I and I think they do a good job of not over over pitching guys up there. So like I think. Uh, I think Miles Sanders had like 175 yards, 175 attempts compared to 250 something for Gibson, 253. So for a guy who's like got a muddled injury history, like getting some of those touches off, I think would be really advantageous for him. So yeah, I know this That's is why like Robinson's where, here. Yes, right, exactly, exactly. Um, clean up on Isle statistics. Uh, McKissick did missed six games last year played 11 yeah. uh, but two years ago played all 16 right had 110 targets in the past game 80 catches so it tells you how involved they want him in the offense um let's let's close the loop on dallas real quick then i have one right. final question for you what is it upon further review with pollard uh and zeke that that you would take them and say ah, actually never mind let's let's bump them down a spot behind washington and still behind philadelphia well, I think everyone looks at Pollard and they say, oh, look at how productive he is. Look at this tremendous yards per carry. I think it's 5.5 yards per attempt, which is the highest in the division. But if you take out his one long run, which is the 58-yard run, it kind of falls back into kind of that 5-1 five, five range, which makes sense, right? So, And big runs are a little bit streaky. Like Guys can't make big runs, if, if that makes sense. It's kind of a little bit of luck of the draw. Um, and so I, again, I like what he brings. The thing about Pollard that was surprising in watching him is that I think he has big runs because Dallas game plans, big runs for him. So for example, I mentioned that they do a lot of stuff in between the tackles, like attacking the, the legs of the guards, right? Duo tight zone pop, like all this kind of power gap stuff inside the tackle box. And then when he's in the backfield, they game plan a run to get him outside of the tackle box. So the defense is expecting this. They kind of crowd around the line of scrimmage, and then they pounce it out. And so they are trying to find ways to get him to space, much like uh, the Atlanta does with Tevin Coleman, right? Everyone thinks, oh, Tevin Coleman's this big play running back. That's true because he's fast, but also he gets more opportunities to do it. Now, I like Pollard. I do. I like him a lot. But again, I think if he's just in an offense running plays, he's gonna his production's going to look very much like Gibson, uh, Gibson or McKissick or whatever. It's going to look very, it's going to normalize a little bit. He's not going to get these home run game plan. Like, for example, in a short yardage situation, I forget against which game this was, but they ran like a zone read with Ezekiel Elliott. You know what I mean? Like that's a game plan run for him to get him in space to make a big play. And so if you're not game planning big plays for him and he's just running it, 
Like, what does his production actually look like? Is my right, question. If he's just your average first and second down back. He's he's averaging four point one a carry. It's nothing special. He occasionally pops one because he's got great speed, but down in down out, he's not necessarily getting more than his block for. And and I think he he's a good runner. He makes people miss. But I think if you were to say who makes more people miss, him or Miles Sanders, Miles Sanders makes more people miss. Now. There's a caveat there that there's more consistent space in Philly's run game. There's more, so it's easier to make someone miss when you have a little bit of distance, right? And you're not running into this like phone booth of a hole, which is what Dallas wants to do. They want to kind of out physical you, get downhill, you know, cloud of dust. Yeah, rah, rah, rah. Philly's big running lanes, lots of space, getting guys on the edge, and it led it lets Sanders do a better job of making people miss because there's more space. So if you put Pollard in that offense, maybe we're talking about Pollard in the same breath, but just based on the film and what I've seen, Sanders seems to have the best ability to set people up and make people miss, break tackles kind of across the board. He does it the most consistently. And again, it's hard to separate that from the scheme and the offensive line, but I would say that that would probably translate to multiple systems. It would be my guess. All right, so let's close on this thought. Uh, you mentioned the idea of like switching Washington's backs to Philly in that system, or like Gibson and Philly system is scary. And to me, yeah. and to I think most people listening, they're like, "Well, how do we get that here?" Um, what <laughs> you know, if there is a way to more maximize Antonio Gibson, it seems like that's what Scott Turner and the rest of the staff should be focused on is is creating something that can get more out of him because he is such a vital part of this offense. What can they take and also what is just not really on the table because it doesn't right. match with the rest of Scott Turner's offensive scheme? So, man, that's a, that's a really good question, and i got to tread softly here. So I'm going to tread as softly as I can. So one of the things they've done in Philly that's really good is they've gotten outstanding offensive line talent, outstanding. Here in Washington, it kind of feels like they don't really care who's playing. They, they feel like the scheme is going to support who's ever there. But like you look across the board, you got uh, Mylotta playing left tackle. You've got a second-round guard. You've got Kelsey, who's going to be a Hall of Fame center. You've got a 360, 70-pound right guard, and you've got Lane Johnson. And those guys like to mash people in the face. They're big. They're dancing bears. They get after people. It's hard to think of a more athletic bunch of large men that I've ever seen playing. Like that's I'm, that's not I'm not being hyperbolic. That's totally 100% accurate, right? So again, like personnel. One, right? Scheme. They've got guys that fit that scheme really, really well. Like I mentioned the big bodies, like those guys can move people off the ball, but they also have this kind of interesting chess piece in Kelsey in the middle there who can run and get into space, pull, get out on screens. And so those big guards don't have to do that quite as much. They don't have that here in Washington, right? And also they do a great job with their number counts, right? They're always finding ways to put the offensive line in advantageous positions for angles to the second level so they can stick on double teams. And one of the things that lets them do that is having a running quarterback, right? It, it makes right. it easier to find those angles. Now, Kyle does that without a running quarterback, and he really game plans the hell out of people. You can tell there's an element of that in Philly, but it's not quite like the PhD level of Kyle Shanahan. It's because they have the quarterback who can run, it helps them with their angles. So in terms of things that they can do, um, one is personnel, and again, like, that's depending on which team you're at, that's going to be something that is um, it, it, some teams don't feel like they need to have elite offensive lines. Obviously, that's something in Philadelphia they felt like they need to do. And also, they got lucky. They hit on Mylotta, who was a seventh round guy who never played football before, right? Like, they, they hit, they have these kind of unusual players that hit every once in a while. And to make a good group, you need to do that occasionally, right? And then um, I think the running quarterback's a huge element. And then obviously, um, I think th th there seems to be, in terms of targeting runs, just a little bit higher level of detail in Philadelphia than there is here. And again, like I think that cleans stuff up for the back when the when the runs are targeted in a very clean way. Yeah, so I do think it's going to be interesting to watch this year Norwell and Turner and how the veterans at guard, because you mentioned noticing a difference in OTAs already, is like, there are details in this scheme that maybe we just haven't seen yet because yeah. the, the level of execution, because the lack of familiarity uh, was not there. Uh, and so with, 
with Turner, with Norwell coming in, guys who have played in this system before that understand some of the nuances of it can create some better angles. That will be a really fascinating storyline to watch this year. How do those guys affect the overall run game? Not to mention the guys on either side of them, the tackles, the center, um, and how they're able to set those guys up for success and, and be in the meeting rooms and, and the trickle down there. So um, I'm I'm very curious to see. And, you know, obviously Carson's got a lot more snaps under his belt than Heineke did, not necessarily in the system, but does that right. help with some of the identification and, and alignment and all that kind of stuff? I don't know. I mean, you would have a little bit of, I'm sure in your notes somewhere, of how Taylor was it at you know, assigning the run game and getting everything pointed in the right direction last year. But, uh, I mean, obviously Carson did it good enough for Jonathan Taylor to be in the MVP conversation <laughs> last year. So that had a lot more to do with Taylor, but it, it certainly doesn't hurt when your quarterback has that fundamental understanding. Yeah, I think, and the thing about this system here is the center calls it. So the quarterback doesn't do it, at least from at least from what I understand. It doesn't look like the, the quarterback's calling those runs. Looks like Chase does it. That's why it's important to have a smart guy at the position. Chase, Wes Schweitzer, both very intelligent dudes. And so... Again, like that's a difference in in the system here, and like depends on you know most most teams will have the 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 center call it or at least most teams I've been a part of, but there are quarterbacks that do it, um, and I don't know how much I think the thing where you see Carson Wentz's effect is on his ability to kind of move the pocket, and Taylor could do that too, but he Carson can move the pocket and then throw the football deep down the field. It it kind of layers the field differently, so you need to account for that in a different way. So I think that's where you'll see Carson Wentz's biggest effect on the on the run game here is with the boots, with the kind of um, you know little zone read fakes because the defensive end needs to hold to make sure that the pocket isn't broken. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, uh, that'll do it for today's show. Uh, time for me to take a, a rest from talking because uh, the Hoffman Show debuts today at three o'clock. Oh boy. Uh, if you are listening to this before then, make sure you're tuned into the, two, the Team 980 at 3 o'clock. Uh, also, the podcast feed, if you're obviously, if you're listening, you're a podcast person. So if you're one of these people that would prefer to listen to the radio show on a time-adjusted your schedule, the podcast feed is in the works for that show. Uh, we will make sure to let you know when it is up and running. Uh, we'll be back for Take Command on Thursday. Not quite sure what we're doing yet, to be honest. So uh, I guess you'll have to just subscribe, tune in, and find out. In the meantime, if you want to follow Logan on Instagram, at Logan underscore Paulson82, make sure you're following along the brand new Twitter feed for me, at Hoffman Show. Uh, with that, uh, thanks for listening. Again, subscribe if you have not. Leave us a rating and review as well. That helps us to make sure that we are getting out in front of the rest of the football fans out there who also, like you, would enjoy this podcast. That's it, and that's all for this edition of Take Command, and we'll see you on Thursday. <laughs>